0: Hello, everybody. Uh, Felix and I here. And uh, joining us uh, now is the writer and journalist uh, Kareem Zidan. Kareem, you may remember from a past episode with just Felix, but uh, he's back now to talk to the two of us. Uh, and we're going to be talking about uh, a little bit about uh, the history of the nation of Chechnya, uh, both recent and uh, also more distant past. So Kareem, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Oh, it's an absolute pleasure to be back on the show, uh, well and thanks for that introduction. And yeah, like I said, I've been on talking to Felix before about uh, about, I guess, the sports the sports side of sports and politics combined together in that intersection. It was a pleasure to have the discussion again with you here.
0: Yeah, well, uh, sports and politics. I mean, also um, find a meeting in in Chechnya as well as I'm sure Felix is uh, familiar with or can speak on.
2: Yeah, Kareem now uh, does what my job used to be, which was sort of the intersection of uh, political Islam and other sort of uh, oligopolistic politics in different countries, except he actually speaks the languages of the people he's reporting on and is a way better reporter (laughs) than me. And doesn't spend seven hours gaming when he's supposed to be reporting, as I did.
0: Yeah, Kareem, you do the job that Felix pretended to do for a <laughs> while.
1: <laughs> you know, it's it's funny because I never I never thought I would ever be branded as doing that either the North Caucasus or just uh, Russia in general. Because my interest was always originally well, I'm, I'm from the Middle East. So that was always my main interest. That's my that's my background. The reason I think the way I do is because of just uh, I, I lived under the 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 bahrain royal family for 10 years and then lived under the mubarak uh, regime for forever as well so that's just my mentality and when it came to sports i just love that intersection between sports and politics and i think it's woefully underreported so i think i just fit in perfectly in that uh, that little niche
0: well yeah like sports have always been uh, a matter of uh spectacle for the the masses but also um uh something that has been used by um various uh, regimes uh be they, you know, the Third Reich or uh, our own country as a sort of, I don't know, as a as part of a political program to advertise itself uh, to the world. Congratulations to the Cubs on the baseball Super Bowl. <laughs> I feel great. To remember that? But, Kareem, uh, we're having you on now because, uh, like, you know, che- Chechnya is made its way b- back into the news in, in America most recently from some sort of, I think, frightening and, and sometimes sensationalistic headlines about how uh, basically at the beginning of April, like reports are coming in of this sort of anti-gay pogrom that's currently underway there. It's been covered in the New York Times and elsewhere that basically, I think a, as much as a, a hundred uh, gay men are, have reportedly been rounded up and sent to secret prisons in Chechnya. And I think people see headlines like that and I think they react, you know, understandably with a certain amount of you know horror and 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 shock that uh something like this is going on but i think more important than you know just that individual uh human rights abuse or atrocity is i think like the history of the nation of uh chechnya itself which is you know long difficult and i think uh most people are unaware of so kareem like um you know, there's there's what we've read in, in the Western press, but could you outline for us, like, what it, what exactly is this story, and, and what is happening?
1: So reports began to emerge following this mysterious disappearances over the last week of March, approximately. So two television reporters and a restaurant server were supposed to be the first victims of Kadyrov's latest purge of homosexuals in Chechnya, and it all the the, the first outlet that reported this, the initial investigative reports, was the Novaya Gazeta. They were alleged that more than 100 men had been arrested by Chechen authorities on the suspicion of their sexual orientation. So the reports had confirmed at the time three victims that had been killed and expressed concerns that others have been executed since. So ever since then, there have been eyewitness accounts that people that the Chechen authorities have had to bring in parents, actual parents of these suspected individuals and say, your son is gay. Deal with him, or we shall. So Chechen Chechnya's dictator, Ramzan Kadyrov, shrugged off these reports as an April Fool's joke. Why? Because according to the Chechen state, gay pr- people in general are either murdered by their families before the government can ever take a swing at them, basically. So <coughs> the exact quote that Kadyrov's press secretary used was, if I'm going to have to paraphrase here, something along the lines of, the police would never have to deal with Gay, gay people in Chechnya because their relatives would send them to the place of no return. So this is sort of the environment that we're dealing with. And that was the Novaya Gazeta's initial piece covered that that aspect of it. Ever since then, there have been updates that the Russian authorities have detained LGBTQ activists trying to raise awareness about the persecution. The Putin only recently suggested that he was going to look into the allegations, and that was after being publicly called out by Angela Merkel during a joint press conference. His initial response was to side with the Chechen government's denial. So Kadyrov has personally declared now that he's prepared to cooperate with the federal investigation. So that's the latest that that there is on this this, uh, ongoing purge of gay people in Chechnya. How How it necessarily began... It depends on who you ask, because that's one of the issues I find in the in the Western reporting of this. Is because it makes it seem like this is an entirely uh, random occurrence. When the truth of the matter is that there isn't enough discussion about Gay Russia, the main activist, that main activist group that's actually behind uh, not necessarily the attack, but sort of uh, kindled this 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 flame for this purge that's that's happening right now. So what happened was that there was there was a man who asked the, the main Gay uh, Gay Rights. Uh, activist for that uh, group, he asked for a pride permit in the North Caucasus. So he went to different places and the New York Times and others they just didn't delve into his past or the fact that he was later detained. He was later denied the gay purge in Chechnya entirely when it actually happened. So what kind of gay rights activist fails to show solidarity for the group he claims to support, especially after he was the one who initially went in and decided he was going to go confront these different authorities and ask for, for permits so that they could actually hold Pride pride Parade events. I mean, the only English outlet that I've actually seen cover his past was Mark Ames of The Exiled. It's the only person who's actually noted that this is a bizarre human being that sparked the ongoing purge, in, in a sense. His name is Nikolai Alexievsky, and he, he's he's known for his history of racism, xenophobia, and working under even uh, ultra-nationalist groups who promoted hate speech across the Caucasus. So this is a really deep and entangled story that's not been really well reported in in, in Western media. So while Alexey, Alexeyev didn't actually necessarily spark it himself, even the Novaya Gazeta, which is the only outlet that mentioned him, they were the ones who said that the the moment that Chechnya created the special squad to conduct this uh, preventative cleansing operation was after they noticed that there was this sudden interest in it. So... It's, it depends on how you approach it, but the truth of the matter is that this goes back a while. The first time Kandirov from according to my sources, the first time Kadyrov actually attempted gay purges of the sort was around 2008, which puts it about a year after he actually becomes uh, president, so he's around 31 at this time. But there was nothing on, the, on, the, on this sort of level where he's purging massive groups of people we're talking that chechen authorities are rounding people up they're placing them in these secret detention centers and here's another issue that i have with the western reporting on this topic which is a lot of outlets have reported that this is that these are concentration camps that have been built for for this which is just simply not true we're talking about detention centers that were already there for to be used for either suspected terrorists isis defectors drug addicts or any sort of dissent that 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 happens in Chechnya. Basically, Kadyrov's Chechnya was always chock full of this sort of oppression and horrific torture. This is not a recent occurrence or a change of heart. This is Kadyrov one hundred and one. This sort of oppression has always occurred in in Chechnya. And and the truth of the matter is, all it takes is a small spark, something like this, gay rights activist from Gay Russia, to actually come in and ask for permits to really spark something something big.
2: Now, uh, as far as You know, we have a little bit of the why now. But Kadarov is in a strange position himself. We're going to get into a little bit more of the recent history of Chechnya. But Kadarov finds himself having to triangulate between sort of ISIS elements he mentioned, previous Islamist elements like uh, Emirate of the Caucasus because of the influx of Saudi money and even sort of neoconservative aligned groups that propped up or didn't prop up, but reified a lot of Salafist power structures there. Uh, but there's also, as you mentioned, an ultra-nationalist element. So is Khadarov triangulating more towards sort of Islamism with this sort of crackdown on gay chechens or is it towards ultra nationalists or is it kind of both or a creature of his own creation
1: i think he's a creature of his own creation the truth is i'd lean more towards the islamic side of it for for the in the meantime just because of the reaction specifically from the chechen muftiat and the the mufti himself think about this they the the journalist who actually wrote the the Novaya Gazeta piece had to had to actually flee Russia. Why? Because fifteen thousand Chechens gathered in Kadyrov's mosque in Grozny and declared a, a sort of jihad or at least this is how the Novaya Gazeta reports it a jihad against journalists. So they've clearly taken this very personally, and Kadyrov has taken up the cause with them. I mean, just like you said, Felix. I mean, he he he's he's promoted this uh, this sort of. Uh, uh, this influence, this Islamic influence that's coming in, this this, this this Salafism, which is really funny because I know we're going to discuss this coming in. His father had specifically switched sides to, to Putin in, in, this, in the Second uh, Chechen War because he feared the extreme Wahhabism that had festered and had infiltrated from Saudi Arabia. So Kadyrov is playing with fire right now. There's just no doubt about it.
0: Actually, I mean, like, can, can we just double back for a second? Like, we're we, we're talking about him, but for those of people who like may not be aware, Kadyrov is the, I guess, leader or president president, like, president of, Chechnya. of Chechnya. Chechnya, like, also is it is it like officially a country or is it a collection of regions? Like, is he in control of the whole country or just a specific region?
1: No, he's in control of the of the Chechen Republic, which is a republic within the Russian Federation. It is okay. not an autonomous country or a state or anything of the sort. It's a republic that's given actually a lot of leeway. So I understand the confusion some people have sometimes with with Kadyrov because he's not, or again, Kadyrov is not like any other sort of uh, leader within or republic head within the Russian Federation, I mean. Off the top of my head, I can only name one or two other ones, and those are the ones who've had any sort of uh, influence or any sort of say in uh, in the Russian Federation. But the truth of the matter is, the only one with a cult of personality is Ramzan Kadyrov. So it it makes sense that he ends up being the one who gets this sort of uh, this 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 recognition. But uh, the truth of the matter is, Chechnya is is currently uh, under the oppressive uh, rule of. Vladimir Putin, truly, and he has installed his own puppet regime, being Ramzan Kadyrov.
0: Now, you mentioned that uh, his, the family that he comes from switched sides during the Second Chechen War. Where did they switch sides from? Like, you know, were they pre- previously opposing Russia? And could you talk a little bit more about, like you said, that, that fear of the Wahhabism that was stoked in, in that country, leading them to essentially align with Russia?
1: Well, Chechnya attempted to gain independence in the early 90s, which led to the first Chechen war. They they attempted to try and take over a portion of Dagestan and the the rest of Chechnya and uh, create the independent Republic of Ishkaria. And that that did not go over very well. And the truth of the matter is Boris Yeltsin, who was the president at the time, his reaction was the absolute worst of them all. So his, his choice of war and the way they went about it led to hundreds of thousands of deaths on both sides so from the russian army themselves when they had to they had to come in and attack uh, and, and then at the same time the rebels being the 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 separatists lost it i mean the, the the count i mean can be up to five hundred thousand people it was just horrific damage that happened to, to chechnya it was never really the same again grozny was leveled to an extent and The thing is, Boris Yeltsin lost that war, truthfully. He lost that war, and because he lost it, Chechnya had a period of independence leading into the Second Chechen War, and that period of independence was a lot of where that extreme and Wahhabism and that actually a lot of the hatred that Slavic-Russians currently have for Chechnya has been propagated from all the stories that came out during this period of independence in the late 90s. So this is a time where there were reports of... uh, Slave trading within within the capital, within Grozny itself, there were reports of beheadings on the streets and mass rape and all sorts of horrific things. And it's even reported in certain ways of that there. there was Wahhabi groups trying to out-Wahhab the other ones, and there was nothing, there was there was no true state, there was no authority, there was no rule of law, nothing was happening correctly. This 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 idea of independence didn't really plan out the way they they saw it coming. And truly, one of the biggest figures at the time, one of the most renowned and respected figures was uh, Ahmad Haji Kadirov. And he was respected because he himself was a chief mufti in his time, so he was respected for his religiosity and for his uh, his approach to things. So he led this the rebels within in, this, in the Second uh, Chechen War when, when, when Russia came at them again, and uh, what happened was he saw the way his own side was and how s- scattered they were, and how Wahhabism had truly really, in that level of extremism, had come in, and he realized that he wasn't going to be able to build a country with them. He chose to side with Putin, and that was really what cemented uh, the war at that point. And he was placed as the first president of the newly founded Chechen Republic within the Russian Federation once again. So that's sort of a a compressed summary of those two Chechen wars, and how Ahmed Kadyrov ended up becoming the first president under Vladimir Putin, so really he was installed himself, and truly he was the first, the original person that Putin wanted to build the new Chechnya around, this Chechnya that was not going to be fighting with Russia, this Chechnya that was not going to demand independence and threaten the remainder of of, of Russia, whether it be in the North Caucasus or whether it be Russia, Russia proper. So at the end of the day, it was supposed, the blueprint for the new Chechnya was really Ahmed Kadyrov, and then come 2004... He was assassinated how was he assassinated a bomb was placed under his vip box at the, at the at a football match so he was assassinated and there was another period where at this time ramzan Kadyrov, his son his his old his eldest was 27 years old couldn't take power again until the age of 30 which is rule in russia so there was this three-year period again with these different leaders and these different factions fighting it out and until he was 30 years old, and with the help of Putin, was placed in in power. And again, this was a bloody power struggle where people died in in Dubai and in and, uh, and in Moscow and in all sorts of different places. It was a it was a bloody battle that led to Kadyrov uh, coming out on top. Ramzan Kadyrov, that is.
2: Uh, we're going to get a little bit more into Kadyrov in a second, but there's a, a quote I want to read. It's from Bob Baer, former CIA agent, who wrote a sort of tell all about his time in the agency. The deeper I got the more Caspian oil money I found sloshing all around Washington. If it had been just a matter of money or even political corruption, I might have been able to walk away from all I had learned about big oil, the White House, and the NSC, National Security Council. Elective politics always breed a certain amount of nastiness. What I couldn't get around, though, was this. Every time I turned over a new rock, there was something even nastier underneath. And what Bear is referring to is this period that the cream just alluded to around the time that uh, Katerov's father flipped towards the Russian side where there was a massive there was this you know it's the same story we've seen all over the place it's the story we've seen in Afghanistan it's the story we're seeing now in Syria it's the story we've seen in a billion Central Asian Republics Chechnya was incredibly important it does have oil resources but it was more important in the fact that this was new real estate that could be used to set up pipelines through after the end of the USSR, it opened up in this new way towards these sort of American oil interests, and the established playbook for it was this: what we that we saw play out. It was the this they set up this committee, the uh, the ACPC, the American Committee for Peace in Chechnya. Which is just whenever you get something like a, yeah, that in the title of a
0: committee, you can be pretty guaranteed yeah. that they're going to accomplish the exact opposite. And
2: you know, especially when you have peace-loving guys like Frank Gaffney, who just you know <laughs> loves peace and Muslims, and uh, uh, Paul Wolfowitz, just every ghoul who won't die. And what they did is they. You know, stop me if you heard this one before, but they linked up with uh, Saudi intelligence elements and rich Gulf donors and they established links between, you know, the independent republic, but also those splintered groups that Kareem referred to that sort of helped fulcrum Khadarov towards switching sides that their goal was never necessarily the goal of the Americans was never to set up an Islamic Republic in Chechnya. that may have been sort of a goal of the Saudis, but it's really about A striking against Russian influence, which they saw, even though this is a country tens of thousands of miles away from it from us, the, you know, a region that is within Russia God forbid, there's Russian influence there that should be American influence for some reason. It would create chaos. It would allow multinationals to set up these pipelines and it was you had these sort of half zombie proxy groups that you could use against Russian interests. And famously, the rumored unconfirmed thing is that in 2012, over Syria, Prince Bandar bin Sultan, the former American ambassador to Saudi Arabia, when he met with Putin about Syria, when the Syrian civil war was in a different state, he said, look, I'm just going to tell you right now to Putin. We control a lot of these groups in Chechnya. And you guys are about to have that Olympics coming up. It would be a shame if something happens. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, so here we are. This is uh, this is uh, what happens when you uh, set up a committee for peace in a region well, with all the famous at, old characters.
0: Nothing happened at those Olympics, so... Problem solved. Problem solved. So, like, there was this big influx of like Saudi money and like Wahhabist influence. But like, wasn't Chechnya originally like a Sufi Muslim country? Like, what? How did how did they how did they change and and why?
1: It's a difficult question to address only because Chechnya has changed so much under Russian occupation before what it was earlier than that. I mean, it's gone through so many different occupations that it's really difficult. Figure out, especially since it's not especially my area of expertise. Dealing, especially that I deal with the intersection of politics and sports, the the history of Islam in Chechnya. I'm a little uncomfortable delving into extreme detail, only because the area I focus with is when, specifically when Wahhabism really came in and took over, and that influence really changed. But I mean, there's been so much. Russian influence in Chechnya and the English people in general, in that area of the North Caucasus, that they've changed dramatically over time. We're talking about an area that has been, uh, they were basically ex- either exterminated or deported, mass deportations under Stalin. And then when they had to relocate, other people were already there. They had to adapt to different cultures, different ways of being. So, there's always been a lot of change and a lot of overlap between the cultures, but the Chechens were unlike the Dagestani in the fact that they always remained a single identity with a more unified uh, dialect than, than we think of the Dagestanis with over 50 different dialects. It's it's very, very different way. different way. That's why they're a little bit closer to the Ingush people, who are, I guess they were at one point oh, an entire republic together. So, see, even that Ingusheti has separated from Chechnya, and now they're two very, very different. Uh, republics, even though they work very closely together, so it's I can't exactly pinpoint the history of Islam over there. But the reason it did switch over is a lot of what Felix just mentioned—that influence of oil and Saudi money coming in—and just it's Saudis trying to influence other nations into their way of being because it's easier to manipulate. That sort of religiosity is far, far easier to manipulate for them, or at least that's what the Saudis believed at at, at various different points in the different regimes. That it's far easier to manipulate that sort of religiosity than uh, nationalistic uh, behavior when they don't have anything to identify with on your end. So now, Chechens, for instance, how I'll relate this back to is now, if you see Kadyrov's Instagram, he's always posting pictures of his travels to the Middle East. So he was recently sent to the Middle East to meet with. The Bahrain royal family and went over to the United Arab Emirates as well. So why does he go to these places? Because he has things in common with them. It's not gonna be it's better off for Putin to send his Muslim envoy, his primary Muslim envoy that relates to them, rather than send a Slavic Russian. Mm. It's 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 easier they'll sit the fact that he can go and meet with the Bahrain royal family and say Salamu alaikum and sit and they can go pray together and it's the same kind of prayer, it's the same perspective on things especially since it's the Sunnis that are, that are the ruling families in these places mind you not not the Shia even if it's Shia majority countries it's the Sunni royal family so he's meeting with the royal family and that's the administration so that's that's the sort of Islam that I understand within within Chechnya at this point it's history a little a little more murky for me
0: by the way uh, yeah do smash that follow button on Instagram for uh, kedarov
2: yeah um kedarov is if you follow Kadarov's Instagram, you'll see what a sort of, you know, if scumbag, brilliant retail politician he is. And Khodorov, he was able to take over to really put his elements in the Chechen internal security services and really be kind of indispensable to Putin in ways that you've mentioned. But uh, talk a little bit about how Khodorov has used sports, has used combat sports as sort of a way to reify his rule,
1: I'll get into that. I just want to add one point to what you just mentioned because I think that's that's a really key one there, which is the fact that he's placed not only his own people but his own clansmen, so people from his his tape, his his clan, so people who are blood related by blood on the paternal on the paternal side, throughout his government, throughout his government, and where this this actually relates to this to this your second question, Phil, which is about uh, his influence over combat sports, because if you think of all the people who are in control of his his promotion and his fight club, which is the Ahmed MMA uh, fight club and the world's fighting championships of Ahmed being the promotion. So the people that are in charge, either, say, the president, who's Abu Zaid or the people around him, like Adam Dalamkhanov or Magomed Dawudov, all these people are related to Kadyrov. So anything that happens to Kadyrov... And all those people have to go away or they're fighting over power. There's a massive power vacuum. So Putin takes all this into consideration. So I thought that that was a very important thing that you noted there, Felix. But to tie them into sports, all these people are, are part of the fabric that he's woven around combat sports. And I personally believe, I haven't written too much about this point because I'm still building on the concept here, but I truly believe that Kadyrov is pushing for the militarization of the Chechen youth at the moment mm. through combat sports. The reason he's picked on MMA so much is because he knows that there's an influx of talents from the region. So he knows that there's a role of people already that want to find a better life and that want to be that want to be sports athletes and that he knows that his talent there are can compete on an international scale. We've seen it right now, the UFC and it's and and just, just the sort of writing that's coming out from from other outlets about the North Caucasus, based on Khabib Nurmagomedov's success or others. So Kadyrov now has three fighters employed in the UFC, and has built this this massive structure, the Ahmed MMA facility, that can host up to like thousands of people at one time. So it spans about eight thousand square meters. And it can hold a capacity of say four to five thousand people. And that that place is full of all day, all nights full of either kids or adults. And it's headed, the president of this Ahmed Fight Club is Abu Zaid Vismoradov. Abu Zayed Vismoradov is actually not only that he's Kadyrov's head of security, he's head of the secret services in Chechnya. So he's an exceptionally influential human being. So why would such an exceptionally influential human being be in charge of the just combat sports and MMA. There's clearly an underlying factor here, and Kadyrov is building this whole big structure so that a lot of the fighters within the organization, if they're not successful, they'll go in and might be part of the army. They might be part of Kadyrov's private army being the Kadyrovsky. So this is These are all the different tie-ins right now on the more insidious aspect of Kadyrov's influence over mixed martial arts. Because a lot of people, especially this is the sort of feedback I'll get all the time, is why does this even matter? so what if he has a few fighters in the UFC well it does matter on a lot of different on a lot of different levels because first of all there's the sports diplomacy aspect of it kadyrov can now have several of his fighters in the UFC success, successful as a matter of fact so so far he's i think 1 and 0 in the UFC as an as an ahmed uh, as an Ahmed fighter, actually, if you count Ruslan Magomedov, he's about 4-0 in the UFC right now, Kadirov, Kadyrov fighters. So he'll boast this on Instagram and say, look at us, look at it, our Chechen people, our history as warriors, and it's expanding now into the international scene, and all these people are doing this, and it's because I represent them, I have given him this opportunity, and I have sponsored him, and I give him this much money, and he represents my Ahmed organization. If you notice, the Ahmed MMA actually stands for his father's name. So the whole thing is just this big web of propaganda, for, in one way or another, whether it be a little more subtle and sort of the naming of the thing, or less subtle in terms of who's running the organization. I mean, other people that are around him, another one I just mentioned was Adam dalamkhanov Adam dalamkhanov is a politician. He's a deputy in the State Duma, which is the lower parliament. What on earth is he doing as part of a sports organization? He's the person, as a matter of fact, who picked up Floyd Mayweather from a plane, from his own private jet, when Floyd Mayweather arrived to Grozny last month. What on earth is going on here? Like, the tie-ins are incredible. Kadyrov is 100% using sports to promote his own propaganda, his political, his politi- it's a political tool for him, used for all sorts of gains, and it's actually exceptionally influential because it also promotes the Chechen concept of this masculinity, this idea that we will represent our ancestors and our traditional strengths as warriors, and this is how he can do it on a modern scene, on a, at a, at a big, in a big, big way. I mean, Magomed Bibletov, who was the blueprint for these fighters, who he as soon as he joined Kadyrov, Kadyrov built this organization and did all these different things. Bibletov debuted at UFC 210 the same weekend, the exact same weekend that all these. Uh, accusations about the gay purge. Well, it's not really accusations anymore. This is a fact. The gay purge that occurred, all of it. At the point that was the same weekend he had debuted. It was a fantastic distraction for Kadyrov. At the same time, at, at that time, he was still able to promote everything that he believes in. And at the same time, nobody on on, on our side even cared that Magomed Bibletov was there. A couple of people asked the question. There was one article other than my own, but he's able to manipulate this his his interest without any sort of backlash right now. So this is the reason why I do what I do at this point.
0: So this would be like the equivalent of like, you know, uh, Frank Carlucci or something was uh, in charge of the uh, early 90s and dream team, uh, (laughs) Olympic basketball team. Essentially, the the, the use of sports is part of this, a, a larger program, like you said, of propaganda to essentially, I guess, instill this sort of like hyper-martial nationalist vision of, of combat sports and also, like you mentioned, this kind of hyper-masculinity, but also to create kind of a, a, a farm system to feed young men, if not into uh, pro- you know, professional sports and MMA, into his own private security force and you know, to do Christ knows what else
1: there's no doubt about it there's, here's the thing i remember the first time i went to russia and i and i was sitting with a with a bunch of chechens and i had never i didn't even know at this time this is my first trip i didn't even know what what, what much about russia except what you see in movies etc i was a complete idiot at the time didn't know much about chechnya i remember sitting with the chechens and one of the one of the first things i remember hearing was you know Kerim, if you walk around in the streets of Chechnya, everybody from the boy little boy to the grown man and to the old man they all know how to fight you don't want to fight with any of them because even the little boy, he'll punch you in the face. <laughs> this is something they promote really proud. They're very proud of this idea that every man can hold his own. Every man can take care of his family. Another point was, Kareem, if you're a guest in my house and my brother wants to kill you, and first thing I'm thinking in my head is, why on earth would your brother want to kill me? And if my brother wants to kill you, Kareem, he can't kill you because, you know, you're a guest in my house. I would defend you to my death. I'm thinking, why does anybody have to die here? <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh I would be remiss if I didn't mention one of the greatest, maybe the greatest Chechen sportsman of all time, the Olympic wrestler. I'm probably horribly fucking up this pronunciation. Buvesar Satyev, an Olympic gold medalist.
1: Oh, yeah. no, He's another – he's actually – so I'm glad you actually mentioned him here because Buvesar, hey, I believe, I believe he's, he's also part Dagestani. So this is yeah. all that ties into what's going on right now in the current scene, but he, believe it or not, was when when uh, Ahmed uh, Haji uh, Kadyrov, he actually took over. One of the first things he wanted to do was this thing called sports socialization. So he took this newly crowned Olympic gold medalist, uh, Al Saitib, and brought him over to his uh, palace, if you can even call it that, compared to what Ramzan even has now. So uh, Ahmed lived a lot more uh, modestly. Let's, let's put it that way. But uh, he brought him to his house. I believe he offered him a television. Kadyrov is giving out cars now. Rolls-Royce yeah. And I believe, I believe Bufisar was given a television, a brand new television at the time. It's the year 2000. And was told that he wanted him to become the new role model and the new face for sports in the North Comcast with the, with the sole intention of having having him promote the idea of of the youth that are likely with this sort of passion, this anger and this tension towards Russia, instead of going th- through, down the path of fundamentalism and insurgency, to instead redirect that sort of anger towards sports and become successful sports athletes. And because and Boubisar because was actually a, a gold medalist, he had something to fall back on that, look, we are actually exceptionally successful, our ancestors did this, we can do this again. So Ahmed Kadyrov's intentions are a lot more—were a lot more, at least they appear to me, a lot more innocent than his sons. Because apart from the concept of sports socialization, like I just said, Kadyrov took it a step further, and I believe he's going to use this Ahmed facility and others like it, because he has a boxing facility, he has a kickboxing one. He's doing Muay Thai now. This sort of is the ones who are not professionals, which is the vast majority of them. When you think that he has apparently over 10,000 people enrolled. ...in Ahmed MMA right now. So there's not going to be 10,000 successful professionals. Right now he has three in the UFC, a fourth one on the way... ...and at max, at one time, he'll have 10 extremely successful athletes. What happens to the rest of them? A lot of these people are going to be extremely well-trained... ...by other people from the military... So what are they going to do? Another avenue is to go into either his private army, to go into the military. This is all possible. Currently, it's speculation because, of course, nobody from from down there is going to want to speak about this, lest they die, in the, like just for trying. But this is this is what it appears to be. Why else would you hire or place such important? People, such people who are associated with all the all the human rights abuses that we're talking about. For instance, Magomed Dawudov was also affiliated with Ahmed MMA. He is known as Lord. First of all, I'm not even sure why he's known as Lord, but he's known as Lord. Each one of them has a nickname. So Magomed Dawudov is Lord. Adam Deramchanov is the Executioner, and Vismuradov is Patriot. (laughs) 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 Those are three really good nicknames. I gotta say. I'm not even kidding, but but here's the thing, here's the sick thing. Magomed Daoudov, who was sitting around Floyd Mayweather and they were joking around, having a great time, and he's always present when the big training sessions are happening at the Ahmed MMA facility, along with Patriots and along with the other ones. He was apparently one of the people noted by eyewitness accounts as the people, as the person responsible for the gay purge that's happening right now. So these are the sorts of people that are that are just hovering around Khadirov's sports ventures. There is nothing innocent about it, or at least I cannot possibly fathom that there's anything you innocent. Know,
0: it's funny, you mentioned uh that Floyd Mayweather uh went over there. I, I remember seeing that, but um it's sort of incredible to me that nobody made more of that or got angrier at him for doing that. I mean, obviously Floyd Mayweather is a huge asshole too in this country. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, like I I'm surprised that no one uh I mean that that story just came and went, that, you know, he went on this what, like publicity junket uh in Chechnya.
2: Yeah. He didn't. Thankfully for everyone, he didn't take Roger with him. <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: he. I think I believe he went to Moscow. Uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a bunch of publicity there. But then he got the invite to go to Kedziora. This was a completely separate, uh, separate thing. So he had to take his his actual private jet all the way to Grozny. and He was paid, as far as I'm told, over a million dollars. U.S. dollars,
0: money Mayweather. That's, <laughs> that's what he's and about.
1: The money, and he'll do it. He's paid. He's paid more for, for other things. So apparently, and this, you know, the funny thing is, Kadyrov doesn't even try to hide things like this on his Instagram accounts. You can go see the pictures and the and the videos of him showing Floyd Mayweather the Ahmed MMA facility, the boxing facility, and of course, his state-run media has quotes of Floyd saying Chechnya is incredible and the talent is fantastic. So of course, he's getting the propaganda he wants and perpetuating the exact same. Mentality that he wants all his people to think. Reading that exact same stage run media outlet. There's only one of them. It's that GroznyInform.ru. It's the same. It's the same place. So, other than that, he later mentioned on Instagram that he plans on ha- starting a sort of an affiliation with Floyd Mayweather, so that his own fighters from from Ahmed Boxing can actually start training in the United States. So again, he's trying to establish ties in the United States. And he thinks hosting Floyd Mayweather in a palace and impressing him with a big meal and showing him his pet lions and his pet tigers and all these different things was going to be enough to do the trick. And you know what? I don't think anybody's ever going to try to stop Floyd Mayweather. So why would he Why would he stop and, and even consider this? I think I saw two articles other than my own that, that, that covered it in, in Western outlets. And it's just going to continue continuously be woefully underreported.
0: I mean, I think you make that a good point about like, I mean, like in this whole conversation about how uh, sports is, is such a, uh, an effective medium for, um, I think really sort of laundering or, or smuggling so much else like under the guy, like, cause like I think sports really gets past people's radar and like mm. this sort of like the, the, the idea of, you know, competition and fair play and like athletic endeavor. I think it's a really, it's really interesting. Like it, it, the fact that it's so effective as a medium to smuggle all of these like sort of other more sinister, um, yeah, like sort of nationalist and, um, I don't know, like uh, the, the, the power of certain leaders.
1: Well, yeah, because you're expecting less of a reaction from your fan base. Well, think about it. If you're, if you're all fans of a certain sport or et cetera, I'm thinking of the average fan just based on the reaction I get and the hate I'll get on Twitter for writing certain articles. But think of how long FIFA has gotten away with what it's gotten because football is the most popular sport in the world. So if you're part of a popular sport, most fans want to look away because they're still under the impression that sports is their time away and their escape from reality. As long as you continue to believe that it's simply an escape from reality, then you're not going to even consider the idea, why would I want to think about politics here on my time off? That's the that's the general reaction I'll get on a topic like this. Well, I'm thinking, okay, if you don't think that, if you don't want to understand sports completely and entirely, because some people will still look at ratings, okay, so you're looking at television ratings, you look at the business side of sports, you look at the socioeconomic factors, you look at a cultural perspective, you look at a history perspective, but for some reason, politics is a no-no? I don't understand. Of yes. Of course... So much sinister stuff can happen through sports because, again, it's going to play the role of innocent. You know what I mean? And he, some of it is very subtle. So think about it. Something like Putin bringing in the World Cup. People will think, OK, well, there's an influx of tourism, etc. Yes. But that's the idea. He's trying. It's, sta- it's state prestige and enhancing your image at a time where his image is in the trash for most for most uh, Western, Western countries. So it does change a lot of things. And of course, it's extremely important. Something like the Olympic scandal that happened and the doping scandal in Russia, that's disastrous for their image. That's the sort of thing Putin despises because he'll work so hard and he'll pay so much money for something like the Winter Olympics, and down the toilet it goes in terms of prestige and states and, and enhancement when something like the doping scandal happens. It's negative publicity, and that's not what they're looking for in this sort of thing. But yeah, sports is a perfect mechanism for, for the mafia to be involved, for criminal activity in general, for corruption of all sorts, for money laundering, for and just pure politics. We've seen pin, ping-pong diplomacy, we've seen baseball diplomacy, we've <laughs> seen boxing diplomacy, we've seen all, all forms of it. And people take it like this little like a niche thing we can write one article about ping pong diplomacy and remember that time Nixon did this or that but no at the end of the day this happens on on a regular basis all the time and not enough people are looking into it so I find it fascinating and it's almost an endless endless array of things but the thing is I'm suddenly being branded the Kadyrov guy because the guy won't stop doing different things. One week he has Floyd Mayweather. One week he has Better Hari sitting in his gold tub with a gold 1847 posting pictures on Instagram. Well, of course, it's going to rehash these different concepts, and people are going to keep asking, well, why does Kadirov actually interact with all these sports athletes? What's his end game here? Well, I'm trying to figure out what the end game is, and it's a lot more insidious than it might seem to a lot of people who simply just don't want to think of sports as anything but entertainment.
2: That's, um, that's sort of the difference between extremely competent despotic or even just authoritarian or corrupt regimes and the incompetent ones. One of my, one of the most interesting juxtapositions in the Middle East is how in a country like, uh, the United Arab Emirates or Saudi Arabia or Kuwait, you know, under Wahhabism or other non-Wahhabist, very strict interpretations of Sunni Islam, you're not really supposed to enjoy soccer. You're not, it's, you know, for a billion reasons, you're not supposed to. But in all three of those countries I just mentioned, it's pretty big. People watch it. And one of the reasons they watch it is, A, it's good to give the people you're ruling over and are restricting so much from to give them something that will... They can enjoy. That doesn't endanger your rule. But B, it's also a, it's another way that a regime can infiltrate and infect your life. It's another area of social control they can slowly creep over, as Khodorov does, as Putin does, as, you know, just name, like Frank Rizzo in America did it with the Philadelphia sports teams. And you compare that with ISIS, where they have been known, or Jabhat al-Nusra, or, or, or Al Shum, where they've been known to imprison or publicly lash or even execute people for playing some sports or watching them. And you can really see what amateur hour it is because it go, you know you go, well, if you really wanted to have totalitarian control over people's lives, you would infect this very important area of leisure and passion and identity in them as, as Kadorov is doing so so adeptly
1: a fantastic way to not to touch on many different social aspects as well you want them to be a little more nationalistic you want them united with you you want them it's 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 great in many different ways and you find these arab countries as well they all have uh sort of like a, a navy team a military team a police a police team for all these different sports as well and you have you always notice that those teams are always headed by or like at least run by and sponsored by one of the members of the royal family or etc. This is very, very popular in, in Syria or was back in the day, with Bashar al-Assad and his brothers and his family, etc., being all over the all over the map when it came to football and just it's their control over the sports and who could play who and what teams were funded and what areas of the country that they didn't like, didn't wanted, they didn't want funded. It was another way to control the masses. And people have to start realizing that these sports are not innocent things. That, yes you can watch Sports And a lot of the times you're watching different things you don't have much to worry about. But you have to always con- consider why various countries are interested in things and who's sponsoring and who's funding different things. Think of Qatar and their in- influence on, on, on FIFA and the World Cup, the upcoming World Cup, and where money is going and where it's being directed and where where popular uh, Olympic Games are being held. It was just one, we just had one in Beijing, we just had one in Russia. And if, if you think about the certain regimes that are in control there and why they'd want to do this... It becomes a lot more obvious, these trends and these, these patterns, they repeat themselves time and time again. This is not a new thing. I am by no means coming up with something brand new here. This has been, this has been happening all throughout history. I mean, just a basic example here in Russia. The boyars of the, the Russian elite of the, of, of the old days, back in the Tsarist times, they used to use boxing as a form of entertainment. So Peter the Great, when it came his time to rule, one of the most renowned Russian czars uh, Russian of all time, he found that he started making more of a spectacle of boxing. Why? Because he thought that this was a fantastic way to show Russia's might and Russia's, uh, Russia's influence and their superiority in the art of uh, hand-to-hand combat. Something as simple as that, This is there's nothing new here. The more you read through history, the more you'll see all these different patterns time and time again. Just, I guess, straight-up uh, politics has always taken uh, the front seat in these sort of things.
0: Yeah, and I mean... I think that's like a uh, that's a great point and like I I mean I think about sports just just in America like be it like the the NFL or or otherwise like team or individual sports I think I think in them I think people like to like whether they're aware of it or not they're taking part in seeing something that is like in a certain way like the reflect like the sort of I don't know an analog for the like the way the society they live in is organized, or the way in which uh, the elites or the people who rule the country want to see the country organized, right? Like certainly that's I think very prominent in. The NFL, and I think it's one of the reasons that people react so violently to the idea of, quote, politicizing the NFL through, whether it was, you know, Kaepernick recently or why, or even, you know, earlier in the 60s when, like, black athletes in America started to take stances on political issues, people reacted to that um, very violently uh, because it was sort of cutting against the, the way in which sports reflects the, the sort of ideal hierarchy or organization of a society.
1: Well, I think that something like that comes from a, a place of privilege in the sense that there are only certain you really you think of more first world countries, if we can even use that term really anymore, but just the most developed countries or and the ones leading the path in that sense. Uh they're the ones who are likely to use it to for less insidious gains. Even though of course there will be political intentions or incentives or, or various things that we just we just discussed. But the truth is it's usually the lesser developed countries and safe places in the middle east etc you'll have you'll have places in south america and areas of russia etc that's where it festers in a very very different way and those are places i tend to focus on the most but you can see this this pattern everywhere just as you're saying and the backlash i think is less likely to occur in the middle east for instance and i'll say i'll i i'll use me as a personal example here but uh I grew up with Hosni Mubarak's picture plastered basically everywhere. Hosni Mubarak for those who don't know is Egypt's uh, the ousted president during the revolution. He was there for about 30 years. So I knew nothing but President Mubarak my my basically growing up. And his picture was plastered everywhere. And you'd go to a football game, you had to get there four or five hours early just because they sh- they'd shut down the roads just for his entrance, etc. And his entrance was always a big deal and they'd announce his name, etc. And you'd always see where he's sitting and it was always such a big deal. So you could always... I think it was always in our face growing up just how much politics was involved in sports. You can't deny it. He was coming to watch the sports. It was important for him. It was important for the image of Egypt. And you could always see the way the police cracked down on match days. I was always around it when the ultras and you'd sit in that section where the ultras being a, a hardcore football fan club for all I, that's I best I bet the, the best way I can reference them. But they ended up becoming quite a political force during the Egyptian Revolution and a key a key a significant factor really. In, in the early days and the success of ousting Mubarak. But they were oppressed big time during, during uh, football matches because Mubarak wanted to put off the image, especially on television for those watching either in Africa or wherever they're watching these matches, that everything is perfect and everything is the way it has to be. Everything is in order. The match looks great. The football pitch looks great. I am here in my suit. And there's no problems happening anywhere around. So Egypt, they were always terrified of the idea of uniting people. We couldn't celebrate a match or or celebrate victorious wearing certain things because the police would come after you, or they tell you you can't gather in these groups. Why? Because they were always terrified of the idea of people uniting together or amassing in a certain group, especially youth, for reasons they couldn't understand. It wasn't. It wasn't. What it, is was it? Nationalistic? Is it? Uh, what is it? What is it exactly? So that sort of thing really struck a nerve with with the Egyptian government. So I grew up in a country where I was always... I couldn't think of football without thinking of politics, but that was my personal my personal viewpoint on it. So everything else seemed to fit into place from there. But I can understand someone growing up in Canada or the United States not wanting to take that perspective. I really do get it, but the truth of the matter is, sports are political. It's that simple. You can't deny it.
2: So, certainly just a... Uh couple more questions just circling back around from politics and sports as a uh as a sort of part of domestic and social control to politics is international or sports is sort of an international politics aspect going back to sativ i think it's interesting that you know when i had friends who were wrestlers who really followed olympic wrestling Saitev was seen as a distinctly Russian competitor. He was very associated with Russia, even though he had that association and small patronage from Khodorov's father. He had a closer friendship with Putin and he, he was sort of trotted out as an example of a great Russian sportsman. And I think it's a pretty interesting evolution of times and a good illustration of the kind of independence and power that Khodorov has that his his equivalents to Saev, his elite athletes that are from Chechen are distinctly Chechen. They're pushed out of Ch- distinctly Chechen. They're distinctly Chechen in culture. they're distinctly Chechen in religion. They're, he draws them so much closer and I think that's an interesting illustration of his relationship with, with Putin.
1: It's fascinating, and but but you know what's funny about all that, what makes it all the more ironic for me, is when he goes and has all of his Ahmed MMA fighters wear big Putin t-shirts and talk about how they they all love Russia, they represent Russia, and they all rep, love Putin, basically. So I find that, that, that whole thing very interesting. It's like he's trying to balance this idea that we're Chechens and this nationalistic uh, unity between them, but at the same time, always make sure that... His his master really. If this is a puppet regime, that his master is all doesn't ever worry that he's trying to gain independence or become an autonomous state. So that's sort of the thing that that Kadyrov is trying to balance here. What's really interesting is what you mentioned about Saiteev, because really when he was used as a as a Russian athlete and promoted really as a Russian Russian athlete, then it was the idea that they needed to unify the North Caucasus with 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 Russia proper again for for. Just in terms of how people viewed them. So after long wars, the idea that you can have a North Caucasus champion who represents Russia, it was supposed to unite the people just in general. So I think that that was the initial perspective on, on Cytip. And, and believe me, that's something that uh, bothered a lot of Chechens, especially the separatist groups at the time. So he was, and, and still this is something that bothers Chechen athletes all the time, mind you. Every time I have an opportunity to speak to a Chechen athlete on my own or, or not around uh, Slavic Russians. Immediately, they want to be referred to as just Chechens, and we're we're a Chechen athlete. Don't say we're Russian, etc. I've had this almost sort of tense conversation with someone who who really must have thought that I was trying to refer to him as a Russian. All I did was just refer to Russians in general, like being as these these fighters in the group. He's like, no, I am from I am from Chechnya. This and then this person is from here, and he's a Lesgin from Dagestan. This one is an Avar. We are not Russians, okay? And then he just walked away. So. You, you have to understand that Kadyrov is trying to balance the idea that, yes, I'm, I, I work for Putin and we, belong to, and we belong to Putin. We want his money and his budget because that's the way we can function. At the same time, trying to keep a certain percentage of that Chechen identity alive. And why I say a certain percentage is because he is killing off a lot of different things. The, for instance, Stalin's, uh, the, 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 they have a day of remembrance uh, for St- Stalin's deportation. Uh, of, of the Chechen and English people back in 1944. Well, Kadyrov won't allow the Chechen people to commemorate it on that day. So this is the sort of thing that he'll take away from his people. So he's balancing a really fine line, and I cannot understand which side he's leaning to the most. I guess it depends on his ongoing relationships with putin at the time because there if you read all articles about putin and kadyrov and when i say old i'm thinking pre-2015 2014 etc or early days of kadyrov so 2008 2009 there's a lot of references of kadyrov and putin having uh, putin having a sort of a father and son relationship well that's changed a lot over time as tensions continue to grow there was a lot of talk last year that there was going to that Kadyrov was going to lose a certain percentage of his funding with the Kremlin, that he was losing uh, face with a lot of the politicians within the Kremlin because of his brash attitude and how he has become sort of his own own creation, really. He's become a certain cult of personality and that these Russians don't feel like they can control him as they used to before. So he's had a lot of tense meetings with Putin ever since. Nothing seems to have changed very much. But just in terms of just, say, Ahmed MMA, there was a time where he was funding a lot more foreign fighters big-name foreign fighters, ex-UFC fighters, etc., and he held this big Grand Prix tournament. Well, he slashed the purses for the tournament midway through, so a lot of those foreign fighters withdrew from the tournament because they couldn't understand why their purses were slashed. This was They had signed contracts and everything. So, the people I spoke to say that Kadyrov was worried that he was spending too much money on foreign, on foreign endeavors and would rather, if he was going to spend this money and not be criticized by the Kremlin, he would rather do this on on Chechen fighters and on that on on something that was more distinctly Russian that would please Putin, so there's this, there's going to be this push and like push and pull uh, sort of relationship between the two of them, and it plays out a lot in how we see these athletes.
2: Yeah, it's the it's the story we see in every regime like this. It's mm-hmm. through years of total control, they suffocate society so much that you get to a point where you, you, you know, like you would with the Saudis or even Putin himself, where you go, well, this guy is awful, but now what replaces him? What would replace Katerov would be, you know, someone who is authoritarian or worse than him, It or it would be an element from IS, or it would be an element from hemorrhoid of the caucuses. It would be a million other awful things. And that's why he's, he has this certain level of autonomy with Putin. But yeah, I'm sure it will get better, <laughs> you know. But um,
0: Kareem, I want to thank you so much for uh, talking to us today. This yeah, a, thank yeah. you,
1: Kareem. My pleasure, guys. Thank you so much for having me on. I hope I covered everything you needed. I'm sorry that just the history stuff on certain aspects is just really not my expertise. I didn't want to go babbling on about something I w- then get it completely wrong. You know what I mean?
0: You're n- you're not ready to be a podcaster. Yeah, okay. Once you're
2: ready, you just completely like. fill in lies with the areas you don't know then you're ready to podcast
1: (laughs) well good to know I'll take that (laughs)
2: yeah you're ready to pod now brother
0: (laughs) All right. thanks again yeah thank you
1: this is for Hillary Hillary.
0: like a small
2: Still got a lot of fight left in me.